You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. You guys will remember that uh, Saul was the first king of Israel. Remember as uh, the people came into the promised land that you know the Lord wanted to be their king. You know, the Lord wanted to be the one that they relied upon and hoped in and were proud of and and yet, as you look at the book of Judges, uh, the people behave so wickedly that the Lord had to raise up judges to kind of be like sheriffs in the land. And uh, it says there in Judges that the people did what was right in their own eyes. And so the book of Judges is like the dark ages of Israel. You guys kind of think of the dark ages now and your, your mind flashes to Robin Hood, you know, and, and just those age, that age there in England where... There was just, uh, you know, there was just, well, darkness. <laughs> um, practically every picture you see from back then was dark. Um, I don't know what that was all about. But uh, so Judges is the dark age of Israel. And then you come to First Samuel where the people just kept saying, we want a king, we want a king. And so the Lord said, well, okay. And, and Saul was chosen by the people because he was head and shoulders above the rest, and he had this outer appearance that just looked so kingly, and yet we see by the end of Saul's life that he was so prideful and wouldn't yield to the Lord and be obedient to the Lord that the Lord removed him and tore away the kingdom of Israel from Saul's hand. And that was during all the time that Saul was chasing David and was just jealous and bitter towards David. And, and so after Saul was killed, uh, his son Ishbosheth took over the throne, and uh, and actually go ahead, uh, Dakota, and just get to the first slide. There uh, we have Saul as the first king up in the upper right. He had a son Ishbosheth, who was murdered by um, was murdered by who Abner. Okay, so Abner murdered Ishbosheth and turned the kingdom over to David. Okay, now on the chart, as we go through all the kings, if a, if a person has a star by their name, uh, they are loyal, they have a loyal heart to the Lord. Okay, so David ruled, had a, a loyal heart to the Lord. All throughout 1 Kings, we see that David is the standard for a loyal heart to the Lord. And uh, his son Solomon uh, reigned in his place, and Solomon started out well, and was told by the Lord, uh, and it started out uh, three times he was told by the Lord, if you obey me and keep my commandments, you know, you'll never cease to have a throne in Israel. You know, you'll have all of this that I'm giving you, all of Israel, and you'll have wealth and just everything that you could ever want if you obey me and keep my statutes. And Solomon started out, strong and he had his first warning when he first became king follow me obey me and then as he built the temple he was given another warning follow me and obey me and then he was given a third warning follow me and obey me but if you disobey me and that third warning was the final and strongest warning that if you disobey me i'll tear the kingdom out of your hand and not only that the temple will be destroyed that you've built, Solomon. Jerusalem will be destroyed. And when people walk by Israel, they'll hiss. And Israel will be like a proverb or a byword or a curse word or a, a poem of curse as people walk by. And they'll ask, what happened to Jerusalem? What happened to these people that used to dwell here? 
And people would reply, they disobeyed the word of the Lord and they were destroyed. And so Solomon's life starts out strong. And by the middle, we see that he had started taking uh, wives from other nations. And he began to worship these wives' gods. And it says that these wives turned his heart away from following the Lord. And he began to worship their gods and build altars to their gods. He built altars to Ashtoreth, who was a, a pornographic, fertile-type god. We're going to see a little bit about Ashtoreth tonight. He'd build gods to Shamash. Or excuse me, he'd build altars to Shamash, who was kind of like a, a child sacrifice god. People would go and, and sacrifice their babies and burn them in public on this golden bowl that would heat up by the fire. And, and so as uh, Solomon had just turned away from the Lord, by the end of his life, uh, he, had, he had turned away from the Lord. We do see in Ecclesiastes a changed heart by the end of his life. And so he, he finished, you know, okay with the Lord in the sense that he'll probably be in heaven when we get there. Uh, and yet, you know, most of his life was marked by disobedience. And so it's from that point on that we see almost like a dark age again start in Israel. And so if you look on the chart, we have kind of like a turquoise color that symbolizes the four kings that were together under a united Israel and Ishbosheth, not even really, it was just becoming united when he was murdered. But, um, so those were the only four kings under a united Israel. And it's interesting, you never again saw a united Israel until May 14th, 1948, when Israel became a nation again. And that started up God's prophetic time clock, where we see it very clearly out of Daniel chapter 9, how uh, we are in the end days. And so that'll be a study in a few Sundays as we get to Luke chapter 21 and the Olivet Discourse, a very awesome prophecy there about the end times. That's way out there. I shouldn't have even gone there. But um, so after Solomon, uh, the Lord tore the kingdom into two, okay? The 10 northern tribes and then really the one tribe of Judah in the south and the 10 northern tribes in the north. Now, Judah also had Benjamin kind of with it. Judah had kind of started to grow and kind of turned into a blob and kind of blobbed in Benjamin there. And some, some even say part of Simeon kind of blobbed in to Judah. So Judah was the southern nation. Israel became the northern nation. Uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, became the king of Judah, okay? And uh, we've seen that the last few weeks. And then Jeroboam, who was one of Solomon's mighty men of valor, uh, became the king of Israel. And we see Jeroboam uh, went up north with all of his ten tribes, and he started to be worried, his heart worried, that people would go south and start worshiping in Jerusalem again with the, Judah, with the Judeans, and they would start mingling with their old buddies, the Judans, you know, the and they would just stay down there. And so he was really worried. We can't let people go back down to Jerusalem. They'll stay down there and then they'll turn on me and kill me. And so what he did was he set up his own system of worship. He set up two sets of two golden calves, one a little bit in the south of the nation of Israel and Bethel and one up north in Dan. And people started worshiping these calves. Um, and the interesting thing is, is they were still trying to worship Yahweh 
our God. Yahweh is the name for our God. And yet they were doing it in an unbiblical and untruthful way, which was idolatry. Okay. And so because of that, Israel started out right away under Jeroboam, one of Solomon's mighty men of valor. They started out as a wicked, idolatrous nation. And let me tell you, it doesn't get any better. <laughs> they just start out bad, you know? And, uh, and so the North just starts out worshiping other gods. Now, Judah, you know, Solomon, he started things out bad by, by building these go- uh, altars to these other gods. His son, Rehoboam, not any better, worships other gods. And, and um, he had a little bit of a glimmer of hope there in his life that we studied last week. And yet that fizzled out. And he also became just this massive idol worshiper. Um, and then uh, his son, Abijam, is where we start out tonight, uh, has, has taken over the throne. And uh, that's where we get tonight. So. Long story short, after Solomon, the kingdom divided because of the idolatry in the nation. There was civil war. Uh, Israel in the north, led by Jeroboam, started worshiping other gods. Uh, Judah in the south, led by Rehoboam, uh, was in the, in the south there. So hopefully you guys are understanding. Draw diagrams. Do all that good stuff. Hopefully you'll, you'll be remembering this. Um, but again, uh, we kind of go into this dark age where people began to do what seemed right in their own eyes. And Jeroboam started that. Solomon started that. You know, because they didn't heed to the word of the Lord. Solomon had three warnings to follow the Lord and him alone, Yahweh, to be obedient to his statutes. And he wouldn't. He followed his own ways and what he felt was right. And he loved women. And so he followed after the women. And he loved, you know, the sensuousness that was in their gods. And so he followed after them. And 700 wives and 300 concubines later after doing all that was right in his own eyes the kingdom's been torn in half never to be united again until may 14th 1948 so it's a it it was a dark age men doing what was right in their own eyes rather than submitting to the word of god and let me tell you people that is always a danger that is always a danger The minute you start justifying your sin and yourself by all of what philosophies you think is right, you know, oh, well, I feel this way and she acts this way and I, you know, he acts this way, she acts this way, so, you know, whatever, or I feel this way and so this is the way it is, Uh uh-uh, don't ever go on your own feelings because you're going to be wrong, okay? You seek the Lord, you go to his word And if anything contradicts it, you are wrong, my friend. Go back to the word. And and it's cool because we do see a few kings that occasionally will go back to the word. And and those are breaths of fresh air, my friends, as we go through the kings. You know, you'll be like, finally, somebody that is loyal to the Lord. You know, and then one king letter, ah, bummer. (laughs) You know, and then a few, you know, 10 kings later, oh, finally, someone that would... Oh, next king, bummer, you know? So, um, man, people that are loyal to the Lord, they're breaths of fresh air, aren't they? Breaths. That's the plural for breath, right? Breaths. Um, speaking of breath. Oh. Um, so chapter 15, should we finally get into it? Probably. Um, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. So Jeroboam had been reigning for 18 years when Abijam 
becomes the king of Judah. He reigned only three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Mekah, the granddaughter of Abishalom or Absalom. So Mekah was the granddaughter of Absalom. Uh, and he walked in the, in the sins of his father, which he'd done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father, David. So, you know, you might just put a little dot or a little mark around every time you read of the word loyal, being loyal to the Lord. That means wholeheartedly and wholly dedicated to something. And so we're going to see a guy tonight, we're going to study a man who was wholly dedicated to the Lord. But here, uh, Abijam, not wholly dedicated to the Lord. As was, and then you might just also make a mark every time David is used as the standard of loyalty, because it's quite a bit here in Kings. Um, verse 4, nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So here we see that standard, David. He's a lamp, and all of his seed is a lamp in Israel. Even if it's just a little nightlight, you know, some of these kings from his lineage are just practically like little nightlights or little glowworms or something. You know, they're barely glowing, but yet because they're the seed of the David, of the David, Uh, They are a light. Now, isn't it neat to read of the Lord's vision of who David was? Loyal. And some of you may have heard this. We have some newer people, but what's incredible is we all know what David did with Bathsheba. Not pretty. (laughs) You know, we all know what David did to Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. Not pretty. You know, we all know that David feigned madness and pretended to be crazy and rabid and foamed at the mouth. And we've all done it, you know, but, uh, the cool thing is, is that the Lord doesn't see that anymore. He sees, you know, and as you look in the New Testament, uh, in Hebrews 11, you see all the saints of the Old Testament lined out in the hall of faith, and you don't see any of their sins. Tons of people that messed up and, you know, told their wife, hey, pretend you're my sister so Pharaoh doesn't kill me because you're hot, you know. And then Pharaoh takes that, you know, oh, what have I done? You know, and then he does it again. Or men that, you know, set up idols and all this stuff. They, they turn back to the Lord. And, and in the New Testament, they're seen through the lens of the cross. And so all of the things that they've done, all the bad things they've done, adultery, murder, you know, worshiping idols, uh, just you name it, they've done it. Um, it's washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And that's such an encouraging thing for me because I know my sin, you know, you know your sin. But when we come to Jesus, he, he washes us as white as snow and clothes us in garments of righteousness. And from that point on, when he looks at us, he sees loyal hearts. And so, uh, you know, David just always looked at as loyal. And uh, there was war between Rehoboam, his house, and Jeroboam's house all the days of his life. Verse 7, now the rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Abijam rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, 
Then Asa, his son, rested in his place. And, uh, and so let's just look real quick to um, 2 Chronicles 13. And you're just going to want to leave a, a finger in 2 Chronicles tonight because we'll come back there. 2 Chronicles, it's after uh, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. It's just over a couple books. And we're going to be coming back to chapters 13, 14, 15, 16 uh, throughout the night. But um, basically, you can just mark it. Um, we read of one of the battles that happened uh, between Abijam and Jeroboam. And it's kind of an interesting thing. This was before Abijam fell away from the Lord and just completely did what his father Rehoboam did, following after those other gods. And um, for the sake of time, we're going to read a lot of other passages, but you could kind of maybe follow along as I give you a synopsis of it. But basically what happened was uh, Abijam went to battle against Jeroboam. He was outnumbered two to one. And as he's out there standing in the midst of the battles about to happen, and you guys, you guys know, you've seen the movies when the kings would, or the, the commanders would stand before each other before they'd go to war, and they'd say, here's your term, surrender. You know, and the other guy would be like, no, here's your term, surrender. Ah, forget you, let's go fight, you know. Well, as they're standing there, uh, Abijam calls out in a very prophetic manner, and he says, you, Jeroboam, you, since the day you became king, You've been leading your whole nation into, idol, into idolatry to worship the golden calves. And, and you've been leading, you know, you've been turning your back on God. You know, we read last week that the Lord put it that Jeroboam put God behind his back. And that's exactly what he'd done. And it's really neat. It's almost like a glimmer of hope in Abijam's life as he's calling Jeroboam on the carpet. You need to repent of your sins. And, and as Abijam is there and he's pointing the finger and he's, very prophetically rebuking Jeroboam for the sin of idolatry that Israel's been doing. Uh, Jeroboam circles his army around Abijam's army. You know, they were all distracted by this incredible speech, and Jeroboam's like, hey, get the cavalry around him, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, they all surround the army. And by the time uh, Jeroboam is, or excuse me, Abijam is done with his prophetic speech, he kind of looks around like, <laughs> you know, we're surrounded and the Lord ends up doing just an incredible uh, work there. Uh, basically, you know, the Lord shook the earth and Jeroboam's army fell. It was just a great slaughter that day that the Lord did. And it was there that Jeroboam, uh, he pretty much died there on the battlefield. That was pretty much the end. Nevertheless, we don't see Abijam, you know, even though that was a very victorious time, and you'd think that Abijam would have carried that with him his whole life. No, he doesn't. He goes and he follows after the other gods, and he starts worshiping the other gods, and he doesn't finish strong. It's very sad. So um, I know that was kind of a synopsis, but we're going to look at some other uh, similar type stories that, for the sake of time, we just did a, a synopsis of that one. So then we have the king Asa, uh, Born after Abijam. And uh, in verse 9, verse uh, 9 through 15, uh, we see, In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king over Judah. And he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. So already Asa has the track record 
for the longest reigning king in Israel. David reigned 40 years, and, uh, and Asa reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. So he holds the record of the longest reigning king. Um, his grandmother's name was Mekah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. So guys, here's that fresh breath. Okay, let's get it in because it's one of the last ones that we're going to have in a, in a little while, you know. Um, he did what was right. And you might just put a star there. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father's David. So Asa is one of the bright spots in Judah's history. Out of 20 kings of Judah, only a very few of them followed after the Lord. We're going to see that his son Jehoshaphat was another one that followed hard after the Lord. And that's a really neat legacy, you know, Asa's son Jehoshaphat, also a bright spot. But um, so he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And here we're going to see what all he did that was right, okay? Verse 12, he banished the perverted persons from the land. And so we talked about last week how there were these uh, perverted persons in Canaan when Joshua came into the land. And Joshua warned the people, and, and you can read about it in Leviticus, uh, I believe, 17 and 18, I think it was, was what it was. We talked about it last week, how uh, there were sodomites or homosexuals in Canaan when the children of Israel were coming into it with Joshua. There were people that were into bestiality. There was... Um, incest and, you know, and, and all sorts of different types of incest. I mean, just as perversion as you can get was the, were the people that were there in Canaan. And Joshua warned them that, you know, that's why God is vomiting them, literally vomiting the Canaanites out of the land. And that when Israel comes in, they're, they're not to partake of that same sin. And if they do, they'll be vomited out of the land. And we're going to see that end up happening as as the people began to partake of the old Canaanite ways, of all that sick stuff. In fact, here we, we read again of the perverted persons, which speaks of sodomy. Uh, and, and literally what it's talking about is, is a male prostitute used in worship of these gods. And so um, just a very a, a, a disgusting time that that was going on in the nation of Israel, but this bright star Asa comes into the light, or comes under the scene, and banishes the pervert, the perverted people, and he removed all the idols that his father had made, and so he didn't care that his dad had made them, he didn't care, you know, what sentimental value they may have had, his dad has passed away, he destroyed these idols, and he burned these idols, he removed the idols that his father had made, um, also, he removed Mekah, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asera. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. So not many of us have grandmas that are pornographers, but Asa did. And it's, it's been known that these God images for uh, that were made, they were had multi-poles, and they were just perverted, uh, multi-breasted or large-breasted, and just sick and twisted, all this stuff that was going on. And Grandma built this image and put it up in the temple. And as Asa came on the scene, someone whose heart was loyal to the Lord, he said, you know what? I don't care who you are. 
I don't care that your, gram, your grandma who made me cookies when I came home from school as a kid, you know, uh, you're sick and twisted, grandma. <laughs> you know, you need to repent. And he took her special carving and he went down and he burned it uh, in the brook. Uh, it says there, uh, in the brook Kidron. And that's the same brook that's at the bottom of Mount Moriah. Someday we'll go there. It divides Mount Moriah from the Mount of Olives. And it's just a, it's a beautiful thing. Jesus was always crossing the brook Kidron. And, and as the sacrifices were made there in the temple, the blood was known to run down uh, into the brook Kidron. And it was known to be red from the blood of the sacrifices. And so as Jesus crossed the brook Kidron, it was always a type of his blood one day was going to be the, that atonement for our sins. But anyways, at this point in history, this big idol is taken out and just burned and trashed and just beaten and broken apart and destroyed. And you know, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And the message of the gospel, he says, is going to turn mother against son and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And that already happens anyways. Jesus didn't need to do that. But however, uh, no, I'm totally kidding. I love my mother-in-law. Um, just a fun joking thing that we have going on. You know, Jesus said, I'm going to bring a sword because, you know, your daughter isn't going to like, a lot of times, isn't going to like you following after me. And so you're going to have to make a choice. Is it going to be me or is it going to be your relationship with your daughter? Follow hard after me is what he's saying. You can't make peace with with all the men. They're going to reject you for Jesus' sake. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And so Asa just did a very brave thing. And I got asking myself, would I do that? <laughs> you know, I mean, poor grandma, you know, grandma Lorraine, you know, uh, you know, or grandma Wanda, you know, granny, we called her, you know, gosh, could I really bust down granny's little like knitting project that she made that, you know, has Saddam Hussein on it or something like that? I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> probably, probably could do that. I don't know. Definitely a difficult thing that he did. And so I give him props. He was a very brave guy. He also, uh, well, it says here that um, he cut down her obscene image in verse 14, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. So the high places were these places that, uh, you know, it's difficult to read of him being so loyal and not just completely getting rid of sin because there was still this little bit, you know, that he probably just forgot about. You're probably like, man, look what I've done. I'm so busy. I'm just beating apart this idol my grandma made. I'm getting rid of the perverted people. I'm so busy. And perhaps even in the back of his mind, he just even forgot about the high places. And the high places were where the Canaanites used to worship their gods. And a lot of times the Israelites would, you know, they'd go worship Yahweh up at these high places. And that was not how it was to be done. It was to be done in the temple or in the tabernacle. And so they were just not worshiping in truth. And sometimes they'd full-on worship other gods at the high places. And so it's sad to see that, that level. And, and it's just a word to us, you know, are there hidden sins in my life that maybe I don't even know about? You know, there was even a sacrifice in the Old Testament, and that sacrifice was for the sins that we don't even know we committed. That word that we said to somebody that hurt them and dug them in wrong or something, or that, that thought that we had that, you know, we kind of forgot we made it or something, you know. Um, and so, man, we just need the Lord to constantly examine us and make sure that as we're loyal to him, every little bit of sin is taken out of our lives. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. 
a little bit of sin or a little bit of yeast in a lump of bread spreads so quickly. And, um, and we see that those, those high places were used later on. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was still loyal to the Lord um, all of his days. He was dedicated. He was completely and wholly the Lord's. He also brought into the house of the Lord the things which his father had dedicated and the things which he himself had dedicated, silver and gold and utensils. And so we just see this bright, shining time in Israel's history through Asa. Now there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. So now at this point we're reading about Basha becoming king or being king, but we haven't read about him being set up as king yet. So this is kind of a little flash forward, if you will, as to what's going to happen. Later on in verse 28, we'll see Basha becoming king. But he kind of flashes forward that Asa and Basha uh, had king, uh, had war all their days. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So Ramah is a town that or is an area that's five miles north of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was Judah's. Okay? So what the king of Israel is doing, he comes down just to the border of Judah and he builds this incredibly huge city and, and, and on this highway that if anyone was going to come down from Israel and go into Judah and go to Jerusalem to worship, they had to come through Ramah and they wouldn't get through. There would be guards, there would be doors, you're not coming in. Why would they want to go to Judah? Because Asa was king. <laughs> we want to go down there where that guy who's following after, after the Lord is. They wanted to get down there. They wanted to worship in this place. There, there were people. You know, even, you know, there's always a remnant of people that follow hard after the Lord, even the midst, in the midst of a pagan society. And there were people that wanted to get down there. And so uh, Basha um, built this huge city we're going to see in a little bit, I don't want to, spoiler alert, but we're going to see that the timbers and the rocks that Basha used to build Rama, when, when Rama ends up getting destroyed, am I spoiling it? Uh, there was so much timber and so much rock that they were able to build two other cities out of that rock that was coming in to build. So just this massive fortified city, there's no way you're getting in down there to Judah to worship with that good King Asa. And so verse 18, Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house and delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tibramon, the son of Hizion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between you and me as there was between my father and your father. See, I've sent you a present of silver and gold, come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. He attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel, beth and all Chinneroth with all the land of Naphtali. Now it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and remained in Terzah, Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and timbers of Ramah, which Basha had used to rebuilding. And with them, King Asa built 
uh, Jeba of Benjamin and Mizpah. So, um, basically what was happening is that, that city Ramah was being built and uh, Israel was sieging down against Judah. And so King Asa sent some people and snuck around to Syria, which was north of Israel on the coast, you know, uh, from the coast uh, eastward. And he said, hey, let's make a, you know, here's a bunch of money. Here's all the money that we have left. You know, can you come down and, and start attacking Israel so that they'll get their mind focused off of this Ramah area and, you know, they'll have to all go back and they'll have to, you know, it's like if we were to take our eyes off of our big wall we've made with Mexico. And, you know, right now we're letting the Canadians go in and out, no problem. You know, we've got actors from Canada. We've got hockey players from Canada. We, you know, they come down and race on our racetracks and all that stuff. But imagine if all of a sudden Canada started attacking us and we had to fortify our Canada border as well and our Mexico border. We would be so thinly spread that, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, that would be like, oh gosh, what are we doing? We're just so thinly spread. And, uh, and so that's what's happening here in Israel. Ba- uh, Basha realized, we're getting thinly spread, forget Rama, let's get back and let's just kind of chill out for a little bit. Um, now, believe it or not, that was a sin for Asa to go in and give all that gold and all that silver to the king of Syria. And if you'll flip with me over to um, 2 Chronicles, and, and actually, I'm, you know, hopefully you still have your finger in 2 Chronicles. Let's just finish real quick Asa's life. Uh, verse 23 there in 1 Kings 15. The rest of all the acts of Asa, all his might, all that he did in the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? Yes, they are, and that's why we're going over there. Um, but in the time of his old age, he was diseased in his feet. Some of you guys are just using your feet here tonight, if you know what I'm talking about. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that's wrong. That's mean. Sorry. Um, so Asa rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And, and okay, so pause. And flip over to Second Chronicles. Hopefully you're still there. Uh, the, you know, when you read of the kings, you're told, and the rest of the king Jeroboam, uh, of Israel, aren't they written in the Acts of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And then when you read of Jer- uh, Judah, aren't they written in the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? The answer is we have Judah's Chronicles in Second, First and Second Chronicles. We don't have Israel's Chronicles, and so we get to see some of that uh, here tonight. We get to see the rest of the Acts of Asa, and so um, Second Chronicles fourteen, uh, we see in verse nine, right before we start reading, we see that. Um, Asa's army was about 500,080 people, okay? And then in verse 9, we see then Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them, against Asa, with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Marashah. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah at Marashah. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether by many or with those you have, who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. And in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with them pursued them to Gerar. 
So the Ethiopians were overthrown, so they could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army, and they carried away very much spoil. And so we just see this incredible victory that Asa had, good King Asa, uh, and that prayer in verse 11. Is that prayer not priceless? Man, underline that prayer. How often are you feeling overwhelmed, like there's a million Ethiopians with 300 chariots attacking you? You know, and you just feel like you're at the end of yourself. Good. Be at the end of yourself. You know, I I always used to say, you know, hey, Rory, how are you doing? And I'd always say, I'm hanging in there. And I remember one day my pastor, Ken Odegaard in Lakeview said, well, then just let go. (laughs) You know, and I always remember that. He said, just let go. And so hanging in there, my token slogan, I can't use it anymore because then people just say, well, then just let go. Um, But uh, yeah, that's what Asa, just let go, Asa, just give it. Give this battle into the Lord's hand in that prayer. You know, Lord, it's nothing for you to help. And whether with many of us uh, or with those who have no power, help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. Just a beautiful uh, prayer. And it's incredible because you see his son, Jehoshaphat, um, and I don't want to spoil her, but it'll be in a few weeks anyways, uh, in chapter 20, or uh, yeah, chapter 20, a very similar thing. All of these armies, a very similar odds, nearly two to one odds, a million to 500,000. And, you know, basically three armies came against Jehoshaphat and they were doomed. It was over. He was going to die. It was over. And Jehoshaphat declared a fast, and the whole nation fasted and prayed. And and the whole nation began to fear the Lord and cried out to the Lord to be their help before this battle happened. And if you look in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, just this incredible prayer. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Ah, what a prayer. What a priceless prayer. That is a prayer that is always on my heart. And just a few weeks ago at the Pulse, the the board of this church got together and circled up in the middle of the prayer circle. And we had people lay hands on us and pray for us. And we just cried out, oh Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And just such a, a wonderful thing to just bow the knee to Jesus and just give it up to him. He's so faithful to take the burden off of us. And so you wonder where Jehoshaphat got it. He got it from his dad, Asa. And, um, and then look in verse 1 of chapter 15, 2 Chronicles 15. Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Does that sound similar to you guys by this point in First Kings? Have you heard that one or two or three or four or five, six, seven times already? You know, that's, that's the word to every king. It's the word to us. You know, seek the Lord. You'll find him. But, If you turn away and fall away from him, you are in the danger zone. 
He'll forsake you. Verse 3, for a long time, Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. And in those times there was no peace to the one who went out, nor the one who came in. But great turmoil was on all the inhabitants of the lands. So nation was destroyed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And that's when Asa went out and started tearing down all the idols. And you can read from verse 8 on through, uh, you know, through verse 19, just this uh, incredible time of him destroying all the idols. But it's pretty much exactly what we read in 1 Kings. Then, uh, in, verse, in chapter 16, you read of the account of uh, King Basha building in Ramah and then uh, the king of Judah going up and giving gold to Syria. And just what we just read in 1 Kings happened. But we see, the, um, we see the problem now. We see why it was sin in verse 7. So everyone there first, I mean, excuse me, Second Chronicles sixteen seven. Okay, so he had just, you guys following me where we're at? Hopefully you do. We'll read it and you'll get it. Verse 7, and at that time, Hannah and I, the seer, came to Esau. A seer is a prophet. Um came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you've relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord, and this is just a gem in Second Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, from now on, you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer or the prophet and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. And so the sin in Asa going up and taking matters into his own hand and going up to Syria and buying the king's favor so that Israel wouldn't be able to, you know, fortify that border anymore. The sin was that Asa took matters into his own hands. And then if he would have just trusted in the Lord and if he would have just prayed out the same prayer that he prayed in chapter 14, verse 11, you know, Lord, we need your help. But instead, he took matters into his own hands and he bankrupted Judah and he bankrupted the temple. Bankrupted. I'm not positive if that's the, the proper past tense, but bear with me. I'm a welder. Uh, he he bankrupted. Got, I've got a journalist in the back row going, Mm-mm-mm. okay. Uh, he, Judah went bankrupt because Asa took matters into his own hands. And if he would have just been loyal to the Lord, verse 9, the Lord would have shown himself strong on Asa's uh, behalf. And then you notice, man, when you get corrected, sometimes if if you're not humble, you react like Asa did there in verse 10. You get angry with the person who's correcting you, and you take it out on them when really you're the one that's in sin. I'm just speaking what the Lord's telling me to speak. And if you don't like what I have to say, you're not disagreeing with me, but you're disagreeing with God. And... uh, but, you know, Asa gets angry, 
And instead of humbling himself and being like, oh, you know what the Lord would have done if Asa would have just humbled himself and been like, what was I thinking? Lord, I cry out to you, forgive me, I'm so foolish. You know, oh, the Lord would have totally still shown himself strong on Asa's behalf. But instead, Asa was angry and threw the guy in prison, and then he started oppressing some of the people, and he just kind of became a jerk in his end days. And that's just kind of sad. But it's just such a, a, a point for us. It's just the same thing like in a football game, you know? You can do incredible the first half and just stomp your opponent. And just, you know, it's a total shutout. And then you go into the halftime, and you guys are partying in the locker room, and we're totally going to win. And so the second half, you can just be like, there's no way that the other team can come back. And so you just kind of, you're goofing off, and you're not really paying attention. And, and the other team can come back in the second half and totally stomp you and, and humiliate you. And it's just the same with us. You might have been on fire for Jesus as a teenager or as a 20-something-year-old, but that doesn't get attributed to your account for when you're 60 or 70. You know, the Lord wants us to finish strong and run the race with endurance. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look to the finish line, guys, who is Jesus. Don't compromise in the middle of the race because you'll lose. The story is told of, and I can't remember who it was, but I know it was in the 1930-something Olympics where a man, and you can watch it on chariots of fire. You can watch about the guy in Chariots of Fire. But he was running in the Olympics, and uh, as he's running, he's totally winning, he's totally ahead, but right before the finish line, right as he's just about to cross the tape, he looks back to see where his opponent was, and that just slowed him down just enough for his opponent to just blow by him and, and win the race. And there's a lesson in that. Guys, don't look back, but charge forward and finish strong. If you, if you look back like Sodom, or excuse me, like Lot's wife looked back as Sodom and Gomorrah, she looked back missing the world that was in Sodom. And as she did, she was turned into a podium of sodium, you know, a pillar of salt. But, um, but it doesn't end there, my friends. Verse 11 Note that the acts of Asa, uh, blue, 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 uh, verse 12, and in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe, or his um, impaired, uh, the level of impairedness was severe. Uh, he, you know, he couldn't walk. He was diseased. Yet in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. And so we just get more insight than what first Kings showed us that here, this guy has got, you know, who knows what it was. So maybe some sort of diabetes or some sort of crazy psychopathic athlete's foot, you know, but uh, regardless, he didn't seek the Lord, but rather he turned to the physicians. Now I'm not going to tell you don't go to the doctors because I think that the Lord uses doctors in our lives and uses the wisdom that he's given them. However, we err if we go to the doctors and don't go to the Lord first, the great physician. And James tells us, if any one of you is sick, go to the elders and that they might anoint you with oil and pray for your healing. But if you do what Asa did and go just to the physicians, then you're, you're basically putting God behind you and you err in that case. And so we see, verse 13, that Asa died from this. 
died from this foot disease. And that has got to be a very painful way to go. Um, And they buried him in his own tomb uh, he had made for himself in the city of David. And they laid him in the bed, which was filled with spices. They kind of had to get rid of that foot aroma. And various ingredients prepared in a mixture of ointments. They made a very great burning for him. So how sad it is here uh, to see Asa defeated uh, at the end of his... Nobody? Defeated? Yeah, no? Okay. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad you got that. Um, so back in 1 Kings chapter 15, Jehoshaphat, verse 24, his son reigned in his place. Asa must have been tired of just having a three-letter word for a name his whole life, and so he named his son the longest name that a king had, Jehoshaphat. Um, now, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel. So now we jump back over to Israel. We've been talking about Judah's kings. Now we're back to Israel's king. Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, became king over Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah. And he reigned over Israel two years. So only two years of being a king there. Believe it or not, this isn't the shortest king that Israel had. Uh, He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel sin. So he, he's walking in the sins of Jeroboam, of all that idol worshiping there. And uh, then Basha, the son of Ahijah, of the house of Issachar, conspired against him, and Basha killed him at Gibbethron, which belonged to the Philistines, which Nadab and all Israel laid siege to Gibbethon. Basha killed him in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And it was so when he became king that he killed all the house of Jeroboam. He did not leave to Jeroboam anyone that breathed until he destroyed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he'd spoken by his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. So now this was prophecy fulfilled. Uh, you remember back in chapter 14 when Ahijah, uh, we studied it last week, told uh, Jeroboam's wife that her son wasn't going to survive the sickness and neither were any of other Jeroboam's sons. They were all going to go down. Uh, their, their bodies were going to be eaten by the dogs in the field and the birds in the fields. Uh, the whole house of Jeroboam would be destroyed. And so we see that Basha was the conduit by which that judgment was carried out. Um, verse 30, because of the sins of Jeroboam, which he had sinned and by which he'd made Israel sin, because of his provocation with which he'd provoked the Lord God of Israel, to anger. Now the rest of the acts of Nadab and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king uh, of Israel? So, um, and, and there was war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, the son of Ahijah, became king over all Israel and Terzah and reigned 24 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam, and in his sin, by which he made Israel sin. And so, Basha now had an opportunity to be a king of righteousness. He became the king. Uh, he's not related to Jeroboam. Uh, he, kind of, he became his own dynasty now and had the opportunity to be faithful to the Lord. And the Lord would be faithful to him. Uh, but we see that he, he was still a wicked king. And it just reminds us of what uh, Romans tells us that, 
you know, if we, uh, we say that we disagree with people in sin, you know, but really we do approve of those sins in our heart, you know, we, uh, you know, he says, those who you, you preach that you should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? And we see that that's just, that's something that we all deal with. We can point the finger and say, oh, that's so sick what they do on TV. Oh, that's so sick what these sins that are out there in the world. But in our hearts, we inwardly approve of them. And, you know, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2 that, that we're not without judgment either if our heart approves of those things. On the outside, we act like we totally hate them. But on the inside, we approve of them. Uh, we're inexcusable. And uh, we need to get right with the Lord if that's the case. And Basha was no better than Jeroboam. Um, and so uh, every chapter from here on out, we're going to just see it gets worse and worse. Uh, the kings get worse and worse. And so um, chapter 16, we're just going to breeze through chapter 16. And uh, that's, that's what we'll close with tonight, chapter 16. Uh, then the word of, God, of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha, saying, and so we see Jehu as a prophet. Where did we just read about Hanani? Hanani was the one that spoke the, that word from the Lord to Asa, saying, you were wrong in giving all that gold to the king of Syria. You should have called out on the Lord. And Hanani is the one that, that 2 Chronicles chapter 16 just says that beautiful that word from the Lord, that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, just looking for a heart that's loyal to him, that he could show himself strong on behalf of that man. So Hannah and I was that prophet that spoke that out. So here we have Jehu, uh, a, a son of a prophet, walking in prophecy himself. And I don't know about you guys, but that's an awesome thing to see. You know, so my heart is, as I worship with Russell and as I spend time with Russell, just... You know, there's such a, a stigma out there about um, pastors' kids, you know, and I think that's just such a lie, and I just, I don't accept that, you know. I just, I believe with all my heart that, you know, that the Lord can just capture Russell's heart. You know, John Corson is such an example to me. Uh, you know, people kind of make fun of some of the, the ways he teaches, but you know what? Uh, every one of his kids is following hard after God. Two of his sons are pastors and he lost his wife in a car accident. He lost his daughter in a car accident. And he still is following hard after the Lord. And his kids are loving Jesus with all their hearts. And so what an example. And so, you know, I just believe that the Lord helped me to be a good example to my son that I can walk in truth just like Asa did and his son Jehoshaphat followed hard after the Lord that Russell could follow hard after the Lord. So, um, so man, I just don't buy that PK stuff. Um, so this word uh, comes from Jehu, the son of the prophet. Verse 2, And as much as I lifted you out of the dust and made you ruler over my people Israel, and you've walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people Israel sin to provoke me to anger with their sins, surely I will take away the posterity of Basha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Basha and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the fields. Now the rest of the acts of Basha, what he did in his mire, they're not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. So Basha rested with his fathers and was buried in Terzah. Then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Basha and his house. 
because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord and provoking him to anger with the work of his hands in being like the house of Jeroboam and because he killed him. And so we just see, you guys remember back in chapter 14 when Ahijah the prophet spoke that word into Jeroboam's wife where he said that same thing, because you've provoked the Lord to anger your kids, you know, and the house of Jeroboam is going to be eaten by the dogs in the field, eaten by the birds of the air in the field. And, you know, you know God is a just God, and he doesn't care about who it is, but if you are living a sinful lifestyle, watch out. Because just like our Lady Justice has a blindfold over her eyes, you know, she doesn't care what person is coming into the courtroom. She's going to, you know, Try her darndest to be just. The Lord is so much more just. And he's no respecter of persons. He doesn't care what king you are. If you're doing the same acts of Jeroboam, you're going to get judged the same way Jeroboam did. But notice also, he's judged for killing the house of Jeroboam at the end of verse 7 because he killed them. Remember that study we did at the end of 2 Samuel, how so often the Lord uses the ungodly to further his purposes. Sovereignly. Uh, he uses um, the people like Basha to go and kill uh, the other ungodly house of Jeroboam. And, and he just used that guy. However, Basha was not, um, was not safe from the moral responsibility of murder here. He was still held accountable for this. He made the choice to murder the whole house of Jeroboam. And now he's going to be judged for it. Um, just like Judas Iscariot, you know, uh, he made the choice to betray Christ. He wasn't just a, a, a helpless pawn in prophecy. You know, well, prophecy says I'm supposed to do it, so here we go. You know, it's like, you know, he, he willingly did. And yet, you just see all throughout Scripture, God's sovereignly working through the obedience and the disobedience of men. Uh, so there's a Bible study about that online. If your brain just popped out the back of your head, you can listen to that. And then we go through some more scriptures talking about that. How's everybody doing? Let's stretch. You guys are doing well. The kings are, they're fun, but they're, they're a workout, you know. Funny I say that as I'm drinking water. <sighs> um, everybody doing okay? Okay, cool. Just a little bit more. Um, in the... Verse 8, in the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Basha, became king over Israel and reigned two years in Terzah. Now his servant Zimri, commander of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Terzah. And Zimri went in and struck him and killed him, in the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his place. And so he was caught off guard as he was drunk, poor Elah. But you know what? It's what happens when you get drunk. Uh, you, you basically get yourself in a whole lot of trouble. And, uh, and he did. So Zimri, the commander of, his chariot, of half his chariots, uh, killed him and reigned in his place. And you would think that it's a... Uh, a good story from then on out for Zimri, but not so much. He has an even shorter reign than Elah. It came to pass when he began to reign as soon as he was seated on his throne. This is just like a, a movie, huh? You know, he's like going in, getting sat down. Robin had busted the door. How dare you? And 
Sorry. I did watch Robin Hood recently, in case you're wondering why I keep mentioning him. <coughs> Just a good show. Uh, anyways, uh, he, as soon as he was seated on the throne, that he killed all the household of Basha. He did not leave him one male, neither of his relatives nor of his friends. Thus Zimri destroyed all the household of Basha. So a similar thing happens um, to Basha's household as it happened to, uh, to um, thank you. Well, no, wait, who was I talking about? Zimri did it to Eli. Basha did it to Jeroboam's house. Okay, there. Sorry. I had a brain glitch for a second. Please forgive me. Um, for all the sins that Basha in verse 13 uh, of Elah, his son, by which he'd sinned and by which he had made Israel sin in provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Now, the rest of the acts of Elah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of Kings of Israel? In the 27th year of Asa, king of Judah, and I'm sorry, the whole Robin Hood thing, I was thinking about a different king. Forgive me. He didn't bust through the door and kill him. Um, and the people were uh, encamped against Gibbethon, which belonged to the Philistines. Now the people who were encamped heard it said, Zimri has conspired and also has killed the king. So all Israel made Omri the commander of the army, king over Israel that day in the camp. Then Omri and all Israel with him went up from Gibbethon and they besieged Terza. So we see a civil war within a civil war. Okay, so... Judah and Israel were having civil war. Now Israel has a civil war within itself uh, between uh, the captain of the chariots, Zimri, and the captain of the whole army, Omri. And, um, and it happened when Zimri saw, verse 18, the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died. If I can't have this throne, then nobody's going to have this throne. Because of the sins which he'd committed and doing evil in the sight of the Lord and walking the way of Jeroboam and in uh, his sin which he'd committed to make Israel sin. Now the rest of the acts of Zimri and the treason he committed are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of Kings of Israel. So Zimri was only like a colonel over half the chariots. Omri's like the general Eisenhower of the army. You know, he's he's has much more of a following and a backing to become king. And so he does become king. Then all the people of Israel were divided into two parts. Half the people followed Tibni, the son of Ginath, to make him king, and half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri prevailed over the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ginath. So Tibni died and Omri reigned. In the 31st year of King Asa of Judah, Omri became king over Israel and reigned 12 years. Six years he reigned in Terzah. And he bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents of silver, then he built on the hill and called the name of the city which he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, owner of the hill. Omri did evil in the, on the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all who were before him. And we're just going to see. It just keeps getting worse and worse. And he, uh, it's like a snowball effect. You know, the kings were getting bad, getting bad, and, and now it's just getting bigger, bigger snowball here through Omri. Did worse than all who were before him. For he walked in all the ways of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin, by which he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord God of Israel to anger with their idols. Um, now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Omri rested with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. Then Ahab, his son, reigned in his place. And so uh, there's a, a, the civil war there between Tibni and Omri, not much is known about Tibni, 
is not really mentioned anywhere else. But Omri uh, bought the hill of Samaria. Um, and really, you know, we don't know much about Omri other than this. But from Assyrian history, uh, northern Israel was always called the land of Omri. Uh, and so he was kind of more of an international figure back then, although we don't know much about him. Uh, the Assyrians certainly, um, even after his dynasty passed away hundreds of years later, they were still calling Israel the land of Omri. But a wicked man, that Omri. <clears throat> and uh, verse 29, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king. Over Israel, and Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And that was 22 years too long. Uh, Verse 30, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So Omri did more than, the snowball was big with Omri, he did more than all was before him. Now Ahab, he's wickedness with a capital W, uh, All that were before him, he's more wicked. Verse 31, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. And so what it's saying here is, you know, like it was a trivial thing for him to to follow in Jeroboam's idolatrous ways and worship those golden calves that were in a way, trying to represent Yahweh. Now he goes even farther and just full on starts worshiping um, a full other God, uh, the God of Baal. Now, Baal um, is actually, it means Lord. And Baal was, his whole name was um, Baal Hadad, which just means Lord Hadad. And um, Baal was one of the male-based gods of the Canaanites, Uh, He had an appearance of a bull, and he was supposed to be the god of storms and rains, which led to productivity in the fields and in the flocks and with the herds. And so uh, he was a very tempting god for the Israelites to worship as they were such an agriculturally-minded nation. Uh, They would often fall into idolatry and worship this Baal Hadad. And, um, And so we see that Jezebel led Ahab into the worship of him. Jezebel is synonymous with uh, wickedness and adultery and um, spiritual adultery. Even in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, uh, he, he calls uh, worshiping other gods and uh, the sin of Jezebel. You can read about it in Revelation 2. Um, and so we're going to read about Jezebel later on. We're going to read about Ahab for a couple chapters. Ahab is on the scene as the king. A wicked, wicked, wicked witch of the north was King Ahab. Well, that was actually Jezebel was the witch. He was the wicked sorcerer. Um, verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Segub. He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, uh, the son of Nun. So we see this man, Heel, rebuilding Jericho. Now, just as we close, look at, Joshua 6. Joshua is the um, 
sixth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. So Joshua chapter 6, right after they destroyed Jericho, in verse 26 it says, and we're going to look at another passage in Joshua, that's one reason I had you turn there. Joshua 6.26 says, Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, or could be translated with the death of his firstborn. And with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. And so just keep your finger there in Joshua, but as you look at how it's worded here in 1 Kings, it says, Heel of Bethel built Jericho. So he's rebuilding Jericho, which was against the command of the Lord through the lips of Joshua. And he laid its foundation with Abiram, his firstborn. Now that's not talking about a good father-son day of masonry and cement work. Angie's ears perked up. She's a cement mason, if you don't know that. Any cement masons need hiring? There you go. There's your plug, Angie. But uh, he didn't, yeah. So he wasn't good father Sunday with his son. No. Uh, what it's speaking of is, is child sacrifice, for one thing. It, it could be child sacrifice that he kind of proclaimed the building of Jericho again, and they, they hit it off with, I'm going to sacrifice my firstborn son. Or it could be talking about the death of, by judgment uh, from the Lord. Um, because of that curse that Joshua spoke out. And then his youngest son set up its gates. And so, again, uh, either the child sacrificed there at the gates, or it could be that the Lord slaughtered the son there at the gates in fulfillment of Joshua's prophecy. And then, um, again, when Joshua led the kids, the kids, the kids of Israel into the promised land, uh, in Joshua 23, go ahead and flip over there, you know, they had destroyed Jericho. They had destroyed all the gods of the Canaanites. And, um, and they were told not to practice what those people in Canaan practiced. And in Joshua 23, if I can flip there fast or not. There we go. <clears throat> it says, uh, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old and advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And he said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I've divided you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I've cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep all, to do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you've done this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one's been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of those nations 
these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go into them and they to you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God's given you. Behold this day I'm going the way of all the earth and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that no one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he's destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you've transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which, we, which he has given you. So when Joshua goes into the land, they burn Jericho and all of the gods of the Canaanites, but now under an apostate monarchy, uh, under um, Ahab, they rebuild Jericho, the very city that God destroyed for them miraculously by walking around it seven times. They rebuild it and reset up worship uh, to these gods. And so um, as black as Israel's history is at this point, next week we see this light of a man being raised up and trained in the wilderness, and his name is Elijah. And we're going to get to spend a few good chapters with Elijah, and he is a, a breath of fresh air. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.